Welcome back, Oscar fans. As the stay-at-home continues, there aren't a ton of new relevant movies to watch if you're someone who focuses your viewing habits around the upcoming Oscars mostly. There are some, and I mostly cover them as they become available. I'll do some more of that in future episodes, focusing on some of the video-on-demand offerings, but there's certainly more movie-watching time than there are 2020 Oscar-relevant movies to watch at the moment. One thing you can do to enhance your eventual award season experience, though, is familiarize yourself with some of the filmmakers who are slated to have significant award season films this year and catch up on their filmographies. Today will be the first in an episode style that I'll put out from time to time, revisiting the works of of some of these filmmakers across categories who are likely to be relevant come Oscar season. We'll start with someone who has one of the most highly anticipated movies of the year, and that is Wes Anderson, ahead of his film, The French Dispatch. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. For decent people. It's supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck Wright. These were his people. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. So this movie's already been pushed back from a summer release, likely from a con's launch, to... October 16th, which will put it squarely in Oscar season. You know, maybe it'll premiere at Telluride or TIFF, depending on what happens with those festivals. But the French Dispatch focuses on a New Yorker-like publication and bringing to life a number of the stories that run on its pages. The cast includes, let me take a deep breath here, Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Liev Schreiber, Elizabeth Moss, Edward Norton, William Defoe, Cerise Ronan, Christoph Waltz, Jason Schwartzman, Henry Winkler, Kate Winslet, Angelica Houston, among others. No surprise then that this is definitely expected to factor into Oscar season, including, perhaps in director category for Mr. Anderson himself. So joining me today to look back at the career to date of Wes Anderson is a big Wes Anderson fan. Tony Candela, thanks for joining the OCC. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So I believe Wes Anderson is maybe not at the top for you, but but toward the top. Is that right? One of your favorites? Yeah, Wes Anderson's always been somebody that I've been drawn to. Always had an appreciation for his movies and look forward to like when he when he releases a new film. It's always a big day for me. Um, so I've I've always liked him. When did you start to develop a relationship with his work? Like what stage of life? So it's probably just when I got into college, I really kind of fell, um, fell in love with him at that point. And I believe at that point, the Royal Tenenbaums had just come out. And the Royal Tenenbaums was something that just was really almost mind blowing. I had not seen any any other movie like it. And then I kind of looked into who this guy was and, and remembered seeing Rushmore, which I had also seen, but didn't really make that connection, didn't know it was him. It's just getting into movies at that point. And then, you know, found Bottle Rocket from before and, and really started to dive into to those three films. And then ever since I've just been kind of following him and he's always kind of stuck with me as somebody that developed a love of movies for myself. And I think from that point, I've grown to like other directors just by paying attention to what Wes Anderson has done. Got it. So he's kind of ingrained in your almost nostalgia and like kind of formative film experience then. 
Yeah, I think I got into like, you know, other directors like the Coen brothers or just, you know, following into movies and what it takes to make them probably by watching Wes Anderson. And, and really, I think the Royal Tenenbaums was probably the impetus of that. So I have a lot of appreciation for him. Although, you know, his movies of late might not be my favorite. He's always been one of my favorites because of those reasons. Yeah, I think the Coen brothers are the ones for me, like are the analogous directors for me to what you're describing. Mm-hmm. What context do you watch, Wes? Like if you're just like Friday night looking to unwind and throw on some comfort food, are you putting on Wes Anderson? I think you could make an argument to throw. I think that's kind of what he does well. He's almost kind of uh, polarizing in that way where I think you could throw on a Wes Anderson movie and just have it in the background and watch it as, as just something that you can put on as, as quote comfort food. I think that's a good way of putting it. But I always like, you know, his attention to detail and the things that he does and the way that he shows his influence and the layers, I think, always is kind of what, what allows me to have a deeper watching experience when I watch his movies. Because every time I see a Wes Anderson film, there's always something that I pick up on or that I didn't see before. So I think it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, I definitely appreciate his skill and his importance. Personally, I don't always generally choose to watch his work to relax or actually even really to be challenged. Um, but I am interested, I'm very interested in discussing it with you. Before we venture fully into his filmography this is kind of what i wanted to hit off the top like what is your overall thesis on west what do you think he does well you know what i think west does really well and and a lot of directors i think this is a little cliche but i would say him for sure is, is just his attention to detail and one thing that i understood about Wes anderson when i was getting into him is he, he said that for every movie that he's done he always starts with the character and, you know, he doesn't really, he might have like kind of an idea for a story, but he always starts with the characters and, and then just accumulates the information about the characters. And then the story kind of develops from them. So who they are and what their world is and figuring out what's going to happen to them. And just that style and influence. I think what I've heard after Royal Tenenbaums post that work is he kind of had this term like Andersonian. It was, you know, yeah. his movies are, are their own language. And I think when directors, even if you don't like them, when they get to a point where they have their own cinematic language and style to agree to like a degree where it becomes a signature in their own right, um, I think that that's powerful. And that's something that makes Wes Anderson so prominent in his styles because of the recognizability of his work. So, you know, similar to what I, I know a Quentin Tarantino movie when I watch one, I know a Paul Thomas Anderson movie and I think Wes Anderson you know, and people know his movies now more than anything because of that style. You know, he's carried the same cinematographer for all of his films, I believe. And he also has the same kind of themes woven throughout. So, you know, the children that you see in his movies, like a Rushmore or like a Moonrise Kingdom, they act like the adults and then the adults kind of act like children. And I just think that there, there's like more of like a, like a, not a fairy tale aspect, but just like a chapter-like, book-like, narrative-like structure that I've really kind of fallen in love with and that I think also defines his style so much. Yeah, he, he has one of the most recognizable and unique styles, and I think that that is to his credit. It also, when we talk about maybe some of the struggles that I have with him, it, it also sort of becomes to his detriment. For sure. I would but, agree with that. But that is ultimately a credit to him. It's like he's a victim of his own success. I agree, though, in terms of his production design, he has some really beautiful cinematography. Mm-hmm. I think this is probably the most obvious element of his influence. I was reading an article recently that uh, was speaking with a curator from the British Film Institute, and he basically argued that like 
a lot of modern Instagram culture is basically reflective of Wes Anderson's style and aesthetic. Like if you think about kind of the rise of artfully shot food and like symmetrical, colorful landscape shots and stuff, I thought that was pretty interesting and and a reasonable argument. Yeah, I think, you know, I remember thinking back to the Royal Tenenbaums when I was kind of preparing my thoughts for this podcast and and just you forget how much of a an anomaly and like a groundbreaking film that was. And I think, you know, it, I would say it's not a top 25 film of the 21st century, but it's definitely in the top 100, top 50 maybe. And I think what it's done is it has helped us to, to influence many, many movies and things that had came come after it. I think when that came out, it was like no one had seen a movie like that. And um, you forget how much influence that type of, that movie had on what came after. So I think that that's a good point. Yeah, the other thing I want to give him credit for too is I think he's he is a great director of actors especially leads I think that in each of his movies he obviously hones in on really big actors especially in his later work and he gives them a stage to really shine and put on standout performances Mm -hmm. it is you know you, you have also this kind of like almost Saturday Night Live style ensemble where you're seeing basically the same actors every time but then he's rotating in this one really big star that maybe he hasn't worked with before and I think he does that well yeah, and he, he'll go, I remember, you know, for, for a movie like Rushmore when he found Schwartzman. Schwartzman's now a star, yeah. um, but, you know, he, he searched the nation for him. He, like, discovered him, and, I, and for Moonrise Kingdom, it was the same thing. Those kids, he, like, went through 1,600 kids to find the, his Max and Susie, or I don't know, I think I got the main character's name wrong, but those kids from Moonrise Kingdom. Um, but then he has the same characters woven throughout his films. Like, I think that's, you know, the mark of a good director and the relationship of his cast, but... Um, I love that about him as well. Anything you struggle with with him, or is it tens across the board? No, not at, it's definitely not tens across the board. I think I think it goes back to to that Andersonian piece, you know, that you mentioned. I think it, I think when I look at his his catalog, which I know we'll get into, it's like Bottle Rocket was his baby, but he was that was his first movie, and then there were some, you know, Rushmore came along, and it, he probably couldn't do everything he wanted with it, and then. Royal Tenenbaums comes and he's like, all right, now he's established and he does it and he makes the movie he wants to make. But then he kind of just does the same thing over and over. And he's, I think if the characterization piece isn't there and it's just the Andersonian piece, the movie can become a little bored and dry and it can drag and, and you really have trouble kind of connecting with it. So I'd say that is his struggle. And that's his, I'd say his large criticism across the board from people who, who watch his movies and, and, and get excited about them. But other than that, I think he's he kind of not, I don't want to say one note, but I think that there's just, you know, when I go back to like some of the themes that you see woven throughout his movies, they're all very similar. They're, you know, dysfunctional families and dealing, it's like characters who are flawed and how they become redeemed. And so there's a couple movies that deviate a little bit from that, but those are probably the two biggest things I would say in terms of like what I would have against a, a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, you hit my, my two main areas kind of that I struggle with. I think one is that his stories are not particularly interesting to me. I think a lot of the times it kind of gets so absurdist and whimsical that it almost feels like there's no stakes. Um, I find myself kind of ambivalent to, to his plots. And then his style, I think it is immediately identifiable. And I think in a lot of ways, it's very interesting and unique. And in some ways, like he's among the best at having his own style of, of any director. But it has become kind of a self-parody. Um, there's a YouTube channel called Honest Trailers, and I don't know if you've seen this. They did one for every Wes Anderson movie, 
and it pretty much sums it up. It's like starring overhead shots of objects, writing, shots of <laughs> typewritten letters, classic rock songs. Meet a Wes Anderson protagonist. He's definitely not a woman, but an emotionally stunted man suffering from a vague bout of ennui. How is that supposed to make us feel? Watch him deal with a strained parental relationship. Your mother's asked me to leave. Would it be possible for me to address you as dad? No. Why didn't you come to dad's funeral? Because I didn't want to. Sibling rivalries. You don't love me! Yes, I do! I love you too, but I'm gonna mace you in the face! And maybe an affair. You've made a cockle of me. I think he's on to us. Of course he is. But with the help of a brown subordinate slash love interest, a wardrobe full of dapper menswear, and a classic slow-motion walk, he'll end up happy, I think. It's sort of hard to tell, but that's what makes it artistic. I was watching the Grand Budapest Hotel recently again with my wife, and she put it, she's like, I get this is quirky, and we're supposed to like that, but I don't. And I think that, mm -hmm. you know, I think that that is a reading. But he obviously, I, I think that's kind of a reading that, again, victimizes him for how successful and unique and established he's become that it's kind of immediately recognizable. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he continues to do. But I think, you know, I go back to other, other types of directors, like, I don't know what types of categories you put him in, but Christopher Nolan does the, the you know, the, the Dark Knight trilogy, and then can do a, a movie like Inception. And the Wes Anderson he's good for what he does, but he only has his, his types of movies. And I think, you know, he's gotten into even when he does something like stop motion, which is pretty incredible stuff, what he does with that. It's still the same note. It's still the same kind of theme and the same detail and direction and style that we see in his films. So, but imitation is the best form of flattery. The fact that people can say that about him, I think also says a lot in, in his credit to where he is and where he's established in, in kind of the bell curve, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like if he only makes the Grand Budapest Hotel and that's his only movie ever, you'd obviously watch that very differently. I think than like the eighth time you're seeing Owen Wilson think, with a slightly different jacket. I think that's a good point. I think it's a good point. Yep. All right. Well, if you're looking to bone up on your Wes Anderson, what we'll do here is kind of go pretty quickly one by one through his, his nine features to date and kind of hit where it ranks for you, how it plays into his overall career. And then obviously woven throughout here, we'll probably hit on his use of music, maybe some of his favorite, least favorite characters. Does that work? That works. All right. Well, we'll start with his first feature, which also was his first short, Bottle Rocket. Okay. Escape route is crucial just in case somebody is tailing us or even chasing us, as the case may be. We can't be sure how it is going to happen. Do you think we're going to we... be chased tonight? Is that a possibility? That's a good question. No, I don't think we're going to be chased. I'm just being hypocritical here. However, I will say, Bob, please don't interrupt me, man, because I'm trying to stay focused on this stuff. You're responsible for the external situation tomorrow. Streets and the getaway. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Excuse me. The... Are the explosives really necessary here? I think it'd be a lot more simple if I just walk up to the door alone. I, I think that that would be... M Why are you undermining me, man? How much bullets does this thing take? Bob, look, Please, I'm paying man. attention. God damn it! So there's obviously two versions of this. The initial 13-minute black-and-white short that played Sundance. That was Wes Anderson, Luke and Owen Wilson's introduction to the world. Um, you can Google this and just like watch it on Vimeo, I think, or YouTube. Um, and then the feature version you can watch on Crackle. Have you seen both or just the feature? I have seen both, and it's been a while since I saw the, the original version. Um, it's very similar to parts of the, the feature, but it's cool. It's cool to watch. Yeah, it's basically the first quarter of the movie. 
this is probably my favorite Wes Anderson movie, honestly, the the feature. It's like kind of the least Wes Anderson-y in some ways. Yeah. I know the reviews, like I read Roger Ebert's review coming out of Sundance, and at the time he was like, this is really alternative and quirky, but based on where he goes from here, I'd say it's kind of more down the middle. What What's your take on uh, Bottle Rocket overall? Like, Where does that fit for you in his filmography? I think, you know, it's it's probably number three for me. It's in the top five, but not not my favorite. But I think in some ways I'll watch it and, I'll, and it's just so good that it definitely has a place in my heart, which I'm sure it does for him too. I know for Wes Anderson, this movie was based on some of his real life experiences. I remember hearing one story too, where they had this faulty window in college and the, the super wouldn't fix it. And so they decided to come up with the idea to break into their own apartment and that's how that idea came for the movie to break into Anthony's house and that movie was was because of that and that's kind of what led them to that and I think it's cool too because like we would never know the Wilsons the 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 Wilson brothers are just big figures in their movie stars they're just complete superstars and it all started in University of Texas where they met each other going back to what you said about Robert Ebert it was kind of a commercial failure when it came out and then I don't know if you read this when you were kind of or heard about this, but Scorsese put it in his, like his top 10 list of movies for that year. And it's, then it started to kind of generate this buzz from critics and, and started to take, you know, people started to take more note of it. And it's now kind of his cult favorite. So I think where it, where it fits is, you know, it's in the top half for me. Um, and why it's worth, you know, the watch is just because it's what started it all. And you see those pieces that are, you know, have their influence in, the, in all of his other movies, including something as simple as, you know, music, which I think is similar throughout but cast and direction and types of shots and things like that all get their start in Bottle Rocket. And it's just a funny movie. I think it's probably one of the most comedic of the movies. A character like Future Man, you know, and like Bob Maplethorpe's brother and, and just some of those pieces you got James Cannon in and just a lot of things where I think it's, it's got an endearing, endearing piece to it. I agree. I always like road trip movies too. Owen Wilson, I've always been pro Owen Wilson. Like I just love Wedding Crashers. And I think if you watch too many Wes Anderson movies in a short time period, he gets a little oversaturated. Like he's just like such a distinct style and he's in every one of these damn movies. But I think he's really, really good in this. Like I think this is one of his most likable movies and just he just plays this character that's really well developed. And I, I think this is that's probably the strongest part of the movie for me. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think it was a start of, too, how he pairs his music to the film. There's a band called Love, got a couple songs in there from Love and just just some incredible music that I think those it's kind of started to me um, when I watched it, how soundtracks and the influence of music and the soundtracks to a movie um, can impact, you know, the way that you view a movie. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Okay, so we're, I think the recommendation is watch on Bottle Rocket if you're catching up ahead of the... Uh... French Dispatch, this one's worth your time. Definitely. Second movie you already mentioned was Rushmore. This is the first Wes Anderson movie I ever saw. I saw it, God, I mean, I saw it in the theater, so whenever that was. And I didn't obviously really know anything about who Wes Anderson was going to be, and I hadn't seen Bottle Rocket. Where are you on this movie? What's the secret, Max? The secret? Yeah, well, you seem to have it pretty figured out. Secret, I don't know. I think you just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. For me, it's going to Rushmore. Rushmore is my favorite and it's number one for me. I think it's his most focused story and I think it's also 
probably his darkest and he tackles like some of those difficult subject matters really well and, and kind of takes them to fruition. I love the characters in the movie. I, I think Bill Murray's character is incredible and the, the relationship that he has with, with the character Max Fisher and just kind of showed Wes Anderson, you know, in a new light where he has, you know, more time, resources, money to use and, and probably his most impassioned project outside of maybe Royal Tenenbaums where it's like, all right, this is my sophomore production and, and I really need to hit it out of the park. And I just think it was really cool that the, the one thing that was always unique was this Bill Murray piece um, where Bill Murray signed on to do, do Rushmore. And I don't know if this was ever disclosed the amount he made, but I think it was like $9,000 just because wow. they were tight on budget. Um, and Bill Murray just wanted to do it. He uh, got on that set and like Wes Anderson was like really nervous around him and would like whisper directions in his ear. But Bill, I heard was great. He was like hawking equipment and like lifting it for him. And he was going to pay for like a helicopter scene and things like that. So just really interesting to see, you know, where people were picking up on his talent, Wes Anderson's talent, and then to see Bill Murray kind of carry through in every one of his other films. But definitely number one and a must watch for me um, if you're preparing for, you know, the French Dispatch. Yeah, he he seems to build these relationships. Actors must love working for him because they all just do one movie and then they're in all the rest of his movies. And obviously this was the, you mentioned kind of the start of Jason Schwartzman's career and then he becomes, I think he's in maybe every single other Wes Anderson movie from there. Yeah. You talked about music too. So this is one of the needle drops for me that probably stands out the most of any Wes Anderson movie, which is the the who and the revenge sequence. Yeah. I feel like that's probably maybe the most memorable use of music in a Wes Anderson film. Was that a quick one? That, that song, a quick one while she's away. Or- yeah. I just, but the characters are just well, really well thought out and just, you know, to the, the impact of that, the, the love triangle I think was interesting, but then also just like Max Fisher's dad. I just remember feeling like, you know, really it's just a heartfelt character and, and he doesn't want to really even like, have people know that his dad is around and, and that he's a, just a barber and just, you know, he has to put on this. I just feel like everything was so, it just felt real. You know, the, the movie felt more real than a lot of the others in terms of the characterization of it. Yeah, I think so too. So if you're watching this at home, you're going to have to rent it, which is the case for most of um, Wes Anderson's movies, but three bucks, you can see it on Amazon, YouTube, Apple TV. So pretty easy to find. Definitely. I think a pretty foundational work for Wes. So a lot of these are going to be watches, I think. He's only got nine. Yeah. But that takes us to probably the most Wes Anderson movie, um, and that's the Royal Tenenbaums. Got a minute? <gasps> what are you doing here? Uh, I need a favor. I want to spend some time with you and the children. Are you crazy? Well, wait a minute, dammit. Stop following me. Well, uh, I want my family back. Well, you can't have it. I'm sorry for you, but it's too late. Well, listen... Baby, I'm dying. Yeah, I'm, I'm sick as a dog. I'll be dead in six weeks. I'm dying. Yeah, this one is definitely top three. And I'll go back to what I said in the beginning. It's just, its influence has seeped into our culture, I think. And I, and I'm, and I think, you know, when it came out, there was really nothing quite like it. And, you know, there's so much wit and precision and detail to this movie. And I feel like this is just Wes, Wes Anderson and his best. And it probably isn't number one for me only because I've seen the movie so many times that I just, I don't know if it's lost some of its, some of its luster because of that, but 
Um, just everything about it is so incredible. And I love the characters in this movie too. And, you know, there's so much, you know, it's going back to the, the music and everything really well thought out musical pieces and his love for Charlie Brown comes through. He's got a Charlie Brown reference and, or some sort of influence in every one of his movies. And there's just a little subtle Christmas time is here in the background of one of the scenes. And it's just such a beautiful little scene. And I thought the the relationship between Margot and, and Luke Wilson's character was was incredible and um, just an all around incredible movie. So I would like to pause on that. I know they did this in Clueless and like, it's not the first time this has ever happened in a movie. Does anything about their brother, sister romance bother you or make you uncomfortable with the movie or does it just, it doesn't matter. They're not actually related. Yeah. I think, I think that's part of why it's so interesting is because of how uncomfortable it makes you feel. And, and then you have to make a decision as a viewer, whether or not, it's crossing that line because they're not blood related or because they are. So I think it, it really kind of plays out well. And, and there's such like characters that you feel so bad about that you almost like want something to go well for them. Richie Tenenbaum is just such a sad character and Margot is just so depressing. And then, but that's like what kind of brings them together. And some of the things that, that, that at the end of the movie seems to, what are they actually living for? You know? So I think that's an interesting question. Yeah, I think it's like the character arcs in this movie are definitely interesting. I think this is maybe one of the first examples for me of Wes Anderson being very stylistic, but then being not really sure what to make of the substance of the plot on its face. Like some of like Royal's behavior is so horrible that, you know, I mean, I won't spoil kind of where it ends, but he's he's not a character that you're necessarily rooting for at any point. And yet kind of is given the arc of a character you might be rooting for. There's this whole kind of sibling love story. It's definitely different, um, but it is Wes Anderson at his core. Like if I think about the Saturday Night Live skit, I don't know if you've ever seen this, the Midnight Coterie of Sinister Intruders. Mm -hmm. From the twisted mind of Wes Anderson. It's the Midnight Coterie of Sinister Intruders, starring Owen Wilson as a man in danger. Wow, what the heck? There's a bunch of crazy people standing in our yard. Hey, hon, I think we're about to get murdered. And his terrified wife, Gwyneth Paltrow. You don't say. I think they basically pulled like 75% of that from this movie. Um, it, it's pretty easy to find kind of the heart of what Wes Anderson is uh, by watching The Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, I think it's interesting the uh, the use of the narrator in that. It was something that was kind of new that I hadn't seen, and Alec Baldwin was a, was a really good choice, I thought, for that. I also remember hearing that Gene Hackman was kind of like an ass during production, just like no one liked him, and he was tough to work with. And I don't know if that had any impact on maybe the story and you know how everything's kind of fleshed out. And then still in the beginning, you know the Hey Jude song. You know, that's I, a great I he, start. He, it was a great start, and he couldn't get the rights to the real song which he wanted to use. So I feel like he just still wasn't there in terms of just, you know, he wants to use the real Beatles song, but this is his, you know, it just kind of gives that progression of just who he was as a director and what he could do and what he could influence. Um, because I think after this movie, he kind of has carte blanche and in, in terms of what he can do and create. Um, so just kind of interesting, but definitely a must watch for, uh, for Wes Anderson. Yeah, this is on, again, a rental. So that takes you then to... The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. You're supposed to be my son, right? I don't know. But I did want to meet you. 
just in case. I appreciate that. I'll be right back. Don't go away. Where are you on the Life Aquatic? Talk about polarizing. I think this is, might be his biggest in terms of people who like it or, or don't. I think people either hate this movie and it's also developed kind of a cult following. I could see it both ways. And this movie came out at a time when I was just in the thick of loving Wes Anderson. I was just so happy when this movie came out and I was just going to love it either way. And I can see the forest for the trees in this and why people don't. I don't think it's a must watch for people, but it's a must watch for me. I think I, I do think it's, it's one of his one of my favorite ones, you know, I love the use of the Sue George, that David Bowie, you know, cover songs and like, I love the music in it. I think that it hints at the stop motion love that he has. You see the stop motion and the Jaguar shark and some of the animals that would become the fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs. I understand the limitations of the story. I think that the story is just kind of wild and, and, and it's all over the place. But I also get like, I guess my take on it overall is it's about this big beast in nature and it's about all these people who can't get along and who don't know how to communicate with each other. And sometimes nature can take over and make you stop and appreciate its beauty and just kind of makes you, you know, forget about all the bullshit, even though after they probably saw the Jaguar shark, they got back to like hating each other. But that's kind of my take on the movie after watching it. But I can see where, where people have its, can see its clear limitations and flaws. To me, I, I agree totally with that. I think this is kind of Wes Anderson at both his worst and best. Like, I think that in it's great in that he lets his actors shine. Like, it's a great Bill Murray performance. Yeah. And it's also kind of the absurdist, like when the deadpan humor works, it works really well. He has that line really early in the movie when he's first meeting Owen Wilson, and he just casually introduces him to somebody, and he's like, this is probably my son, Ned, we just met. And it's just like laugh out loud funny and how absurd it is. It's When it doesn't work, though, it's like because the premise to me just gets so crazy that it all feels so interpretive and and meaningless. Like when they're like infiltrating a pirate island to to (laughs) rescue Jeff Goldblum, it's just like I don't care and I'm bored. but I think you summed it up right. Like this to me is not mandatory viewing at all, but it is kind of does highlight a lot of the things he does well in some ways. Yeah, I think too, the, um, you, you nailed it on the head in terms of just letting his characters shine. He does start with his characters in every movie. And I think with this, he just had a love for like Jacques Cousteau growing up. And I think you see this when he moves through the rest of his films. It's like, he's just got a love for like Raul Dahl and, and, and his books. And so he makes these characters and then they have to fit within his Jacques Cousteau love fest movie. And so I think that's kind of what happens too with some of this stuff is he just has a love and appreciation for cinema and art forms and creativity of the past. And then he creates these characters is what, she, what he's and the detail, which is what he's good at, but then it's got to fit within his like his passion piece. And I think that's where you see some of the narrative flaws is because he's just got to figure out how to make an end. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. So next on his filmography was the Darjeeling Limited. Says the train's lost. How can a train be lost? It's on rails. Apparently we took a wrong turn at some point last night. That's crazy. How far off course are we? Nobody knows. We haven't located us yet. What'd you just say? What? What you just said. Say it again. We haven't located us yet. Ah! Is that symbolic? We 
haven't located us yet. Where's those feathers at? In the envelope I gave you this morning. Meet me on top of that thing out there. Um, this one you can stream for free on HBO. You like this one? This is actually my least favorite Wes Anderson movie. Um, and I would say, you know, it's beautiful. It's, it's uh, the uh, visuals of India are incredible. It's like, it's like back streets India and it's just really pretty movie. But I don't know, I just something about this movie I could never really get into. The music is pretty solid. He uses like the kinks and in a good way. And because I knew I knew that um, it was streaming on HBO and none of his other movies you can watch like streaming like he doesn't have it on. So I, I was able to like go back and check this one out. And I think there's just something about like the three white privileged, wealthy, troubled American brothers that are just like on the backdrop of this landscape you know, of poverty, like real world poverty. And in some ways I think that's cool, but it just didn't, I didn't buy into it. And it took like this India, well, I don't want to spoil the end, but um, I forgot that we were doing spoilers, but it, the catalyst for their healing just didn't seem to like hit home for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. My favorite thing about this is Adrian Brody. I think he's really the he's standout great. in this one, um, but I'm with you. This is not one of my favorites. I'll say one of my favorites is the fantastic Mr. Fox, which is, Weird, but it's like his weirdness isn't as all-consuming in animation for me. And summation, I think you just got to not do it, man. That's all. I understand what you're saying and your comments are valuable, but I'm going to ignore your advice. The cuss you are. The cuss am I? Are you cussing with me? No, you cussing with me. Don't cuss and point. You're going to cuss with somebody. You're not going to cuss with me, you little cuss. You're going to cuss with me. Just by the tree. Okay. The story is still definitely secondary, but I don't know. Did you, do you like his animated work? I do. I think, I think stop motion, I, I can understand his love for stop motion being a director and, and just getting into it. And I think for a stop motion movie, you just have to be so tight on what you're trying to pull off because it just takes so much time and effort to pull off a stop motion movie. So I've always been fascinated, fascinated by stop motion and it's his first ever attempt at this. So I think he really put a lot of heart and soul into it. He obviously has a, a love for Raul, is it Raul Dahl? I don't even know how to pronounce his name, but- I think so. Um, or is it Ronald? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, I think he had it Raul. Raul. He loves that author and I think he, um, it was really highly acclaimed. I think the one piece of why it gets overshadowed is I remember when that came out up also came out and up just like cleaned house in terms of animated movies so it's you know i think i think it kind of was not as rated highly as it could be because it just it just got swept away by up but it was great i thought i, I think it's a fun watch and it's not trying to be you know those books and i remember i remember reading fantastic mr fox before i watched the movie the books are really dark and i think he took an approach that wasn't so dark which i felt like was just fun and entertaining the first 11 minutes of Up, I think, are like 11 of the best minutes of any movie ever made. I so agree. It's hard to compete with that. Compete. But I do think that, what, you know, he, again, he makes space for charismatic actors to just be very good. And even though George Clooney is not on the screen, I think he's really good. Like, I just think that Wes Anderson builds platforms for his, for his actors in a nice way. Robert Zemeckis is scheduled to have a version of the witches coming out this year. So it seems like Raw Dahl kind of resonates with a lot of the big filmmakers. 
Yeah, I think he's he fits well within like the movie for adult, movie for kid kind of category. Yeah. Because of, you know, like James and the Giant. I think that's James and the Giant Peach too. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's, it's a movie that can fit on both planes, which I think is really attractive to Hollywood directors probably. So Focus Features um, streams movies every Monday during the quarantine on their Facebook page. They did Moonrise Kingdom a few weeks back. Mostly you can rent it. Do you like this one? What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. I want to go on adventures, I think. Not get stuck in one place. How about you? Go on adventures, too. Not get stuck, too. Anyway, we can't predict the exact future. That's true. It's possible I'm near with the bed, by the way. Later, I mean. Okay. I wish I didn't have to mention it, but just in case. I don't want to make you be offended. Of course I won't. This one probably is in the back half of the catalog for Wes Anderson. And I think it goes to probably hits hardest in terms of what we all criticize Wes Anderson about. And so it's a charming and a sweet movie, but it really starts to get repetitive in terms of just the Andersonian view, like an isolated location and a fractured family. And, and the attention to detail also, you know, also becomes dry when it doesn't really add up or equal to anything. But I thought like the child actors were great. And I think that there's, you know, a really nice, you know, kind of like, I'd say a sweet energy that they have and, and, and throughout the movie that makes it easy to watch. Um, but in terms of just ranking it and, and where it fits and how I would qualify it or criticize it, that's kind of what I, my thoughts are about that one. It's like there's a story buried in there that's like you really want to like, mm-hmm. but it's just like totally overwhelmed by stylization and weirdness. It is. I, I like seeing Lucas Hedges as a little kid. <laughs> but yeah, this is probably, this and the Darjeeling Limited are probably the bottom for me. Yeah. And it's, it's just a weird movie too. I just think some of the, an, the animations and things, and I don't, again, no spoilers, but just pieces at the end where I thought they were trying to connect to maybe like themes. And, and I just, I didn't think they, I didn't think that at the end it really hit home and it really brought, was brought home. So if that's kind of Wes Anderson work in maybe the worst to me, the Grand Budapest Hotel is Wes Anderson working the best. I think it's his, it's not my favorite of his movies, but I think it's his best movie from my perspective, just from a production design, beautiful, stunning shots, bold color palette. The story I think works the best. It's kind of quirky, but it doesn't totally lose momentum as far as all coming together. Uh, to me, this is sort of like your best case scenario for Wes, but I don't know, are, how, where are you on Grand Budapest Hotel? Who are you? I'm Zero, sir. The new lobby boy. Zero, you say? Yes, sir. Well, I've never heard of you. Never laid eyes on you. Who hired you? Mr. Mosher, sir. Mr. Mosher? Yes, Monsieur Gustav. Am I to understand you've surreptitiously hired this young man in the position of a lobby boy? He's been engaged for a trial period, pending your approval, of course. Uh, perhaps, yes. Thank you, Mr. Mosher. You're most welcome, Monsieur Gustav. You're now going to be officially interviewed. Should I go and light the candle first, sir? What? No. Yeah, I would say if I'm if I'm recommending a Wes Anderson movie to that really just kind of captures and and everything that he brings to the table, it's the Grand Budapest Hotel. So it may not be my personal favorite, but it's such a tight movie. It's beautifully packaged. Um, you know, I think I remember hearing about the writing portion of it. I think he wrote it pretty quickly 
and it's just layered. What I love so much about it is it's really layered from a theme standpoint too. So when I, when we talk about the criticisms of Wes Anderson movies and how they just don't really like carry the weight and they're kind of like, you know, um, using the same themes that he uses and that we've already discussed, this has a pretty nice political nugget that comes mm -hmm. along with it, along with just talking about war and fascism and nostalgia. And, and then he carries that, that 17 actor ensemble cast along with it. It was a huge box office smash and highly acclaimed. And, you know, there's so much into it that I think it's just like, it's exactly what we want to see from a Wes Anderson movie all packaged into one. It's aesthetically and stylistically well done. I think there's a lot of technical pieces that could be discussed in terms of just how it was shot. And I think overall, like, I just think the acting is, is really, really well done too. I think uh, Ralph Fiennes, incredible <laughs> job and, and a great character in that movie. Yeah, the technical, that's one of the technical pieces we haven't talked about. And I can't remember if it's in this movie, but he does it a lot. He does it in Royal Tenenbaums, obviously in The Life Aquatic. These sort of like stage sets where it's cut up and you can see sort of like multiple floors at the same. I think they do that with the hotel here. I can't yeah, remember. I think he built the hotel. I think he had to build, he like actually had to build the hotel, which I think goes back to like Royal Tenenbaums is what he wanted. You know, the Grand Budapest Hotel is what he, what Royal Tenenbaums really could have been if he had, you know, every single resource afforded to him. And I think he's at this point in his career when he makes Grand Budapest where he really can do whatever he wants um, and nobody's going to ask, uh, ask any questions, you know. So you get to see him in his truest form and, um, and he just does a very nice job, I think, um, with, a, with a nice package of a movie. Yeah, it's a reason to be optimistic about the French Dispatch kind of when you think of it in those terms. And it certainly would seem to back it up having just the depth of the cast that he's put together for, for the next one. So the last movie then before, before what hopefully comes out um, this year is Isle of Dogs. Don't ask me to fetch that stick. Fetch it. Fetch it. I'm telling you, I don't fetch. I'm not doing this because you commanded me to. I'm doing it because I feel sorry for you. Um, which actually you can watch this one. It's on Cinemax. This was nominated for animated feature a few years ago. Super weird, but I think kind of fun. I don't know. You, yeah. Where are you on Isle of Dogs? It's super weird. And, you know, I do like it though. I think that, I think the dogs are pretty endearing. You know, I think it's, he makes these characters um, pretty likable, both in Fox and Isle of Dogs. You know, I think it's definitely worth a, a watch. I think he probably learned a lot from doing Fantastic Mr. Fox that he was able to, to kind of rework and, and use in Isle of Dogs. And I think it's really almost like obsessively detailed, but the details work well, but you're right about just the weirdness. It's like, stray dogs on a Japanese trash island and there's snout flu and stuff. And, and I just, I think it's kind of wild, but it, it works. I love the Japanese. I think the backdrop is, is the cultural presence is awesome. Um, you could tell the influence and he says this about like Akira Kurosawa, a lot of puppets were used. Like it just, I think he was able to just do a lot with this movie. Uh, so it was cool. I thought it was, a, it was a cool movie. Definitely not one of my top. I think, you know, I, I'd say, Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs are probably similarly ranked for me and they do different things but um you know I love the music love the love the movie in general 
I thought it was cool that he didn't subtitle the Japanese parts too. I thought that was an interesting stylistic choice, but overall pretty good movie. Yeah, I'll defend him on on one thing, which is that there was a lot of accusation, I guess, of cultural appropriation when this came out, like a lot of criticism. But I think to the to the point you just made, like he loves his things that he loves and he tries to pay homage to them. And I think that's sort of demonstrated by not subtitling the Japanese. Right. I didn't see this as appropriation ever. And obviously it's, I guess it's easy for me to say that, <laughs> but I, he definitely, I think this is an example of, you know, if you say he loves Raw Dahl and he makes fantastic Mr. Fox. And I think he loves Japanese cinema and he tried to make this homage to it. But some people I think kind of had, had an issue with it. Yeah. I read about that too. I didn't see it myself either, but I thought it was like, I did read something too about, um, how like Wes Anderson hated hates dogs up until this movie. Cause like there was always like a death, a death of a dog. Like there was one in, you know, there's Moonrise Kingdom and Royal Tenenbaums and just like, people were just like, what do you hate about dogs? And then he makes Isle of Dogs, which is like a, you know, this is like a, I don't know, it's all about loving dogs. It's a great movie for that. And I remember like all my dog owners and people I know who have it really loved Isle of Dogs. They loved the characters of the dogs and like, uh, a couple of my friends were like brought to tears from watching this movie because they just fell in love with the dogs. Like we're just, we just love our dogs, you know? It's definitely better than a dog's journey or like call of the wild or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's your companion piece for Wes Anderson. The plan right now. So obviously the French dispatch was supposed to come out this summer. Nothing's coming out this summer. They've pushed it out to October 16th. So it was pretty clearly going to premiere at Cannes. Depending on what happens with the film festivals, maybe they can get this in Telluride or, or the Toronto International Film Festival and keep it on track for the fall. But this is obviously, I think, one of kind of the tent poles for this year as far as movies. So right. see if it comes out. Yeah, hoping for the best. It's going to be, you know, already laying the groundwork for kind of what we discussed in terms of just looking at the cast and seeing some of the posters and first looks from it. So it'll be interesting, but, uh, you know, I'm hoping for the best in terms of a, another good Wes Anderson movie. Well, there you go. For anybody kind of catching up on Wes Anderson, hopefully this has uh, been a nice little companion piece for your summer summer watching, and then there'll be new movies at some point soon, hopefully, so that you're not just having to catch up on the, uh, the filmographies of these other directors. But kind of a nice thing to do while you know, we're all stuck at home. Yeah, it'll be interesting when this all ends if just a million movies come out at once. I mean, how are, we, are we even going to be able to take the the amount of creativity and art that comes out from this thing you know yeah it's gonna be there's a lot of change coming it's gonna be a weird weird summer fall it'll be good we'll get through it well tony appreciate the time thanks for coming thanks for having me that was fun like discussing all the movies it's a good thing to do during the quarantine is just to go back and and kind of relive a director's you know catalog of work so it was fun to do this with wes anderson awesome well stay safe you as well Thanks, Mike. Take care.